0: Welcome to Primary Cast, your unofficial study group for the ASIM primary exam. My name's Charlotte and I'm an ED Reg in Darwin. I'm also the host of this podcast. Each episode, I'll be joined by a special guest to help cover some of the core content for this exam. Today's topic is upper limb anatomy. Let's get into it. Today I'm joined by Dr. Charlotte Greenfield from the Sunshine Coast, who is an emergency registrar working down there. Who also happens to be one of my close colleagues and good friends. Welcome, Charlotte.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Charlotte has an interest in medical education and also in retrieval medicine. Um, And when she is not working, she can be found uh, in head to toe Gorman having brunch or at the beach somewhere. And She's recently also passed her primary viver exam, so congratulations on that. Thank you. She's very kindly agreed to be a guinea pig for this first episode. And the way that it will work is we will ask some questions back and forth so that it's not just my voice droning on for an hour. Um, so we might get into it. Charlotte, the first question that I have for you is about shoulder stability. Can you tell me what are the articulating surfaces in the shoulder joint?
1: So the shoulder joint is a ball and socket synovial joint and the articulating surfaces are the head of the humerus and the glenoid cavity of the scapula, which is deepened by the glenoid labrum.
0: Great. And what anatomical features contribute to the stability of the shoulder joint?
1: So there are a few of these. So there's the joint capsule with the fusion of the tendons of the rotator cuff muscles. The glenoid cavity is also deepened by the glenoid labrum. There's the coracoacromial arch superiorly, which is created by the coracoacromial ligament. Um, There are other ligaments, including the anterior glenohumeral ligaments, the coracohumeral ligament, and the transverse humeral ligament. The rotator cuff muscles, supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor, and subscapularis, as well as the tendons of the biceps and
0: triceps. Great, thank you. And what muscles are responsible for abduction and adduction of the shoulder? For abduction... The
1: supraspinatus muscle is responsible for the first 15 degrees, and then the deltoid does the rest. For adduction, it's um, the pectoralis major and latissimus dorsi acting together, as well as the teres major and the long head of the triceps.
0: Great, thank you. So the next question is about the scapula. Can you identify the main features of the scapula?
1: Yes. Okay. So there's the glenoid cavity. Uh, Posteriorly, there's the spine of the scapula. Um, Superior to that is the supraspinous fossa and inferior to that is the infraspinous fossa on the costal surface. There's the subscapular fossa. Uh, There's the acromion, laterally, the coracoid process, the suprascapular
0: notch, and then the medial and lateral borders. Great. Thank you. And where do the uh, scapulohumeral muscles attach? The deltoid attaches to the
1: acromion and spine of the scapula, the supraspinatus attaches to the supraspinous fossa, the infraspinatus attaches to the infraspinous fossa, the teres minor attaches to the middle part of the lateral border, the teres major to the posterior surface of the inferior angle, and the subscapularis attaches in the subscapular fossa.
0: Great, thank you.
1: Question about the humerus. Charlotte, can you describe
0: the bony features of the proximal half of the humerus? So the main features are the head, there is the anatomical neck and the surgical neck, there are the greater and lesser tubercles which are separated by the intertubercular groove, uh, the deltoid tuberosity uh, more distally and then also the radial or the spiral groove.
1: And what are the common sites of fractures of the proximal humerus and what nerves are at risk with these fractures?
0: So there's a fracture of the surgical neck which is can risk the axillary nerve and the brachial plexus, or fractures of the mid shaft of the humerus, uh, which can affect the radial nerve. And now a question about the rotator cuff. What are
1: the rotator cuff muscles, and can you describe their actions?
0: Uh, so there are four main rotator cuff muscles the subscapularis, which does medial rotation of the humerus, the supraspinatus, which initiates abduction for the first 15 degrees. The infraspinatus and the teres minor both do lateral rotation of the humerus and then all four muscles together help stabilise the shoulder joint.
1: And what is the nerve supply to the rotator cuff muscles?
0: So both the supraspinatus and the infraspinatus are supplied by the suprascapular nerve. The subscapularis is supplied by the upper and lower subscapular nerves And the teres minor is supplied by the posterior branch of the axillary nerve. Remember that by thinking there's one for two and two for one. So there is one nerve that supplies two muscles. So the suprascapular nerve does both the supra and infraspinatus. And then two nerves supply the one. So both the upper and lower subscapular nerves supply the subscapularis. (laughs) so moving on to the axilla can you please describe the boundaries of the axilla so the base is formed by the axillary
1: skin and fascia the apex is formed by the cervicoaxillary axillary canal the anterior wall is formed by the pectoralis major and minor and the clavopectoral fascia the posterior wall is formed by the scapula and the subscapularis Uh, on its surface and inferiorly the latissimus dorsi and teres major. The medial wall is the thoracic wall and serratus anterior muscle and the lateral wall is formed by the intertubercular groove of the humerus. Great, thanks. What are the contents of the axilla? These include the axillary artery which is in three parts divided by the pec minor muscle the axillary vein, which is formed by the brachial and basilic veins and becomes the subclavian vein at the lateral border of the first rib. There's also the brachial plexus, the axillary lymph nodes, including pectoral, subscapular, humeral, central and apical,
0: as well as fat. The next question is about the cubital fossa. Can you please describe the boundaries of the cubital fossa?
1: Yes. So superiorly, there's an imaginary line between the medial and natural epicondyles of the humerus. Medially, it is the lateral border of the pronator teres. Laterally is the medial border of brachioradialis. The floor is formed by brachialis and supinator, and the roof is the deep fascia, which is reinforced by the bicipital aponeurosis as well as subcutaneous tissues and the skin.
0: And what are the contents of the cubital fossa?
1: So these include the radial nerve, the biceps tendon, the brachial artery, which divides into radial and ulnar arteries, the median nerve, as well as the brachialis. Great. So now moving on to a question about the elbow. Can you please describe the main features of the proximal ulna?
0: So the proximal ulna includes the olecranon process, the coronoid process, the trochlear notch, the radial notch. There is a supinator crest and there is an ulna tuberosity uh, and the interosseous border.
1: And how does the ulna articulate with other bones of the elbow?
0: So the olecranon posteriorly and the coronoid process anteriorly form the walls of the trochlear notch and that articulates with the trochlea of the humerus which allows for flexion and extension. On the lateral side of the coronoid process is the radial notch and that articulates with the radial head.
1: And now moving on to a question about forearm muscles. What are the muscles of the flexor compartment of the forearm?
0: So this can be divided into superficial and deep. Superficial includes the pronator teres, flexor carpi radialis, palmaris longus, flexor digitorum superficialis and the flexor carpi ulnaris. The deep compartment includes the flexor digitorum profundus and the flexor pollicis longus and the pronator quadratus okay moving on to uh, the extensor compartment of the forearm can you please describe the nerve supply to the extensor compartment so this is via the radial nerve and its
1: deep branch which becomes the posterior interosseous nerve and how do these muscles
0: produce movement of the thumb
1: So um, these muscles include the abductor pollicis longus, which does abduction and extension at the carpometacarpal joint, the extensor pollicis longus, which does extension at the interphalangeal joints, and the
0: extensor pollicis brevis, which does extension at the metacarpophalangeal joint. And which muscles produce supination and pronation of the forearm? So supination is via the supinator as well as the biceps and pronation is by the pronator teres and pronator quadratus. And which nerves are required for pronation and supination? So the median nerve is for pronation and musculocutaneous and radial nerve for supination. Fabulous. And that was a question that we had in our exam, wasn't it? Uh, yes. (laughs) Still got a little bit of uh, feel nervous when I hear that question. Um, Your next question is about the radial nerve. Can you please describe the course of the radial nerve in the upper limb? So the radial nerve
1: is a branch of the posterior cord um, and it is formed behind the axillary artery. It leaves the axilla and travels between the long and medial heads of the triceps. It then travels obliquely in the spiral groove of the humerus and then pierces the lateral intermuscular septum and lies between the brachialis and
0: brachioradialis. Great, thank you. Can you please describe the sensory supply of the hand? So the hand is supplied
1: by three nerves. The median nerve supplies the palmar surface and the distal dorsal tips of the radial three-and-a-half digits as well as the radial side of the palm. The ulnar nerve supplies the palmar and dorsal surface of the ulnar one-and-a-half digits and the corresponding palmar surface and the radial nerve supplies the dorsal aspect of the lateral or radial three-and-a-half digits, excluding the tips, as well as the um, corresponding dorsal segment of the hand.
0: Thank you. It's a hard one, isn't
1: it? Next question is about the median nerve. Could you please describe the course of the median nerve in the upper
0: limb? The median nerve is derived from the medial and lateral cords of the brachial plexus. It descends laterally to the brachial artery and then crosses to become medial. It travels through the cubital fossa and passes between the heads of the pronator teres. It descends deep to the flexor digitorum superficialis and continues distally between the FDS and FDP. It gives off the palmar cutaneous nerve before passing through the carpal tunnel deep to the flexor retinaculum. It then divides into the recurrent branch and the palmar digital branch.
1: And can you describe the median nerve supply in the hand?
0: Uh, so this is both sensory and motor. So it does the palmar surface of the radial three-and-a-half fingers and the dorsal surface of the tips of those fingers as well as the corresponding palmar surface. And then it does motor supply to the loaf muscles, which is the lateral to lumbricals, the opponent's pollicis, the abductor pollicis brevis, and the flexor pollicis brevis.
1: Cool. Moving on to the ulnar nerve. Could you describe the course of the ulnar nerve around the elbow?
0: Uh, The ulnar nerve passes through the elbow posterior to the medial epicondyle of the humerus.
1: And what clinical findings would you expect with an ulnar nerve injury at the elbow?
0: So there would be sensory and motor deficits. So sensory loss to the uh, medial or the ulnar half of the palm as well as the ulnar one and a half fingers on the palmar and dorsal surface. Uh, motor-wise, the patient would be unable to flex and adduct the hand at the wrist from loss of flexicarpial niris. they will be unable to flex the distal interphalangeal joints of the fourth and fifth digits from loss of uh, FDP. They'll be unable to flex and abduct at the fifth uh, metacarpophalangeal joint from loss of hypothenar muscles. And they'll be unable to adduct the thumb via adductor pollicis and then there will be loss of abduction and adduction at the fourth and fifth fingers from loss of the third and fourth lumbricals.
1: Great. And how would an ulnar nerve injury at the elbow
0: differ from one at the wrist? So there will be a more pronounced ulnar claw hand if the lesion is more distal due to the innovation to flexor carpi ulnaris and flexor digitorum profundus being preserved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the terminal branches of the medial cord?
1: So these include the ulnar nerve, the medial cutaneous nerve of the arm and medial cutaneous nerve of the forearm, the medial pectoral nerve, as well as the medial root of the median nerve.
0: And what nerves make up the posterior cord of the brachial plexus? So this is all nerve roots, C5, 6, 7, 8 and T1. And what are the terminal branches of the posterior cord and what do they supply?
1: So the most important ones are the axillary and radial nerves. The axillary nerve um, has articular supply to the glenohumeral joint and um, motor supply to the deltoid and teres minor muscles, as well as um, sensory supply over the inferior lateral aspect of the deltoid. The radial nerve um, supplies all of the muscles of the posterior compartment of the arm and forearm and has cutaneous supply over the posterior inferior lateral arm, posterior forearm and the dorsum of the hand to the radial three and a half fingers, excluding the distal dorsal tips. Um, Other branches include the upper and lower subscapular nerves
0: and the thoracodorsal nerve. Great. Thank you. Moving on to venous drainage, can you please describe the venous drainage of the hand and the forearm? So venous drainage is both superficial and deep. Superficial
1: is formed via the dorsal venous network and superficial palmar arch, which drain to the basilic and cephalic veins. Um, The basilic vein then becomes the axillary vein and the cephalic vein pierces the clavopectoral fascia. The deep venous drainage is via the deep venous palmar arch which drains to the radial and ulnar veins um, which accompany the deep arteries Uh, and these all terminate in the brachial vein as they leave the forearm. Great, thank you. Right, so now on to lymphatic drainage. Could you describe the superficial lymphatics of the upper limb?
0: So they originate from lymphatic plexuses in the hand and they ascend mostly with the superficial cephalic and basilic veins. Some accompany the basilic veins enter the cubital lymph nodes um, at the elbow and efferent vessels from here drain upwards to the axillary nodes. Um, The lymphatics that accompany the cephalic veins also enter the axillary lymph nodes.
1: Cool. Now could you describe the arterial supply of the hand?
0: The blood supply to the hand is via radial and ulnar arteries. The radial artery becomes the deep palmar arch which gives off the princeps pollicis, the radialis indices and three palmar metacarpal arteries. The ulnar artery has a deep palmar branch, which anastomoses with the radial artery via the deep palmar arch, and there is also the superficial palmar arch, which is the main terminal branch of the ulnar artery. This gives off three common palmar digital arteries.
1: And could you describe the course of the brachial artery as it passes through the arm?
0: Uh, The brachial artery is a continuation of the axillary artery below the lower border of teres major. It gives rise to the profunda, profunda brachii artery, which travels in the radial groove with the radial nerve. The brachial artery proper travels medial to the humerus as it descends and is crossed by the median nerve anteriorly. It lies on brachialis as it descends into the cubital fossa, where it travels underneath the bicipital aponeurosis and terminates by bifurcating into the radial and ulnar arteries. Moving on to the anatomical snuffbox, can you please describe the boundaries of the anatomical snuffbox?
1: So, the ulnar side is bounded by the extensor pollicis longus. The radial side is bound by the extensor pollicis brevis and abductor pollicis longus, and the floor is formed by the radial styloid, the scaphoid trapezium, and the base of the thumb metacarpal.
0: Great. Um, My friend Josh taught me how to remember this by saying that the boundaries is like a brevis sandwich because you've got the two longus on either side of the extensor pollicis brevis. I thought that was a really useful way of remembering it when for those things that you just have to memorise essentially can you tell me what the contents are of the snuff box so these include the radial artery
1: uh, the cutaneous branches of the radial nerve and it's also where the cephalic
0: vein originates great so moving on to carpal bones can you please name the carpal bones in the hand so, from um, proximally, from radial
1: to ulnar side, is the scaphoid, lunate, triquetrum, and pisiform. And distally, from radial to ulnar side, is the trapezium, trapezoid, capitate, and hamate. And what movements occur at the wrist joint? So these include flexion, extension, abduction, and adduction, as well as circumduction. Oh, great, thank you. So moving on to the thena muscles, could you describe the origins and insertions of the muscles in the thena eminence?
0: So there are three main muscles, the abductor pollicis brevis, the flexor pollicis brevis and the opponent's pollicis. They all originate from the flexor retinaculum and the tubercles of the scaphoid and trapezium. The abductor pollicis brevis and the flexor pollicis brevis insert onto the base of the proximal phalanx and the opponent's pollicis inserts onto the first metacarpal.
1: Great, so moving on to the flexor retinaculum, could you outline the attachments of the flexor retinaculum?
0: So on the radial side, it attaches to the scaphoid tubercle and trapezium and on the ulnar side is the hook of hamate and the pisiform. And what structures pass through the carpal tunnel? So it's the tendons of the flexor pollicis longus, the tendons of flexor digitorum superficialis and flexor digitorum profundus. There's also the median nerve and the flexor carpi radialis doesn't pass through the carpal tunnel but inserts nearby.
1: And now moving on to the extensor retinaculum, which tendons pass under the extensor retinaculum on the wrist?
0: To label from the radial to the ulnar side, there is abductor pollicis longus and extensor pollicis brevis. There is extensor carpi radialis brevis and extensor carpi radialis longus, uh, extensor pollicis longus, extensor digitorum, uh, extensor indices, um extensor digiti minimi, and extensor carpi ulnaris. Great, and we're done. Thank you very much for being my guinea pig for my first episode and for being such a good sport about uh, answering some Viva questions. Still have a bit of PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, that is a helpful revision for upper limb anatomy, and we will speak to you soon.